Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ruby for All. Julie, what is up today? I am feeling under the weather. What's up with you? I don't feel great either, but it's okay <laughs> because what I lack in physical well-being, my mind has been eating, has been cooking this morning. I've been all deep up in the database and transactions and locking and I've been in the rabbit hole, but I've been learning a lot. I've been having fun. So it's one of those you look up in two hours of past kind of days. I do like that. We learn so much in our career. Yes. But today we're going to learn some more. We have Kevin Murphy, software developer at PubMark. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about speaking for the first time at conferences. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How many conferences have you spoken at? I'm just curious. Seven, I think. Maybe eight. Wow. When was yeah, your first ahead. one? 2019. And where were you in your career in 2019? 2019, I was full-time developer for almost a decade. Very nice. So it took me a while to get there. What made you decide like that deep into it? Be like, oh, I kind of want to... Because I think when I first started out, a lot of the people that I know, they're either people who are like, yes, I am going to speak in whatever capacity that is. I'm going to create content. And there are other people who are like, nah, kind of just cool doing my own thing. So what kind of made you change your mind after 10 years? So the change happened earlier. I started submitting talks about five years into my career. No one said yes for another five years, which is <laughs> maybe another topic or we can dig into it. I enjoyed going to conferences and I thought would be a nice way to get involved and give back. And it also just felt like a good career milestone of like, I wonder if I could do that. What's your conference origin story? Ooh. What was your first conference? Or the one that you remember the best is in like, you feel like, oh yeah, this was my first real experience. Yeah. So I guess the first like Ruby related conference I went to was RailsConf in Chicago, which was maybe 2014. It wasn't like the first one in Chicago. And I went to that conference because I was working on a Rails project, but I was the only Rails developer in my company and was like, hey, I should probably go to learn about things from people who know how to do this because I'm the only person and they agreed to pay for me to go. So that was exciting. Before then, I went to a Jenkins conference. It's a CI system a couple of years earlier. Julie, what was your first conference? The one I got to meet you in person. RailsConf. What year was that? 2021 or two? So 2022, I guess. Feels like it was a longer like, time ago. It feels like it was longer and yet it feels like yesterday. It does. So yeah, RailsConf was my first one. Kevin, did you always code in Ruby? No. So I started as a full-time Java developer and then doing a bunch of like hodgepodge of things. And at that company that sent me to RailsConf, I was, you know, building a Rails system because the manager I had at the time was like, we were building a very like small internal app and looked at me and was like, I bet you could build this a lot faster if you built this in Rails and just like ignored all of the other stuff that we usually do. And I was like, what's a Rails? And he was like, don't worry about it. Don't tell anyone. Just go learn and find out about it. And like kind of on a dare, bet me that I could do it faster. And he was probably right. So thanks, Ari. I'm very curious about Java developers going to Rails and some of the Java developers that I've talked to had mentioned that they did not like Rails going into it. I'm kind of curious. This is a little tangent off of our topic, but I'd like to hear your story about going from Java to Rails. Yeah, so there was like an intermediary where I did do some stuff in Grails that's groovy on Rails. And 
Grails integrates with Spring, with Java. So I was familiar with some of the concepts of like frameworky stuff, but like it's still very different. So it felt a little more natural going to Rails from there. I guess I didn't really have much of a problem. I just liked it. <laughs> I was one of the lucky ones. But yeah, I was coming from that like second wave where I wasn't coming from it from like the folks that were using Ruby to write their Java because they didn't want to write Java. I was well after that migration. That phase. Yeah. That phase is only stories and whispers for Julie and I. <laughs> so Andrew, Julie- what is your conference origin story? My conference origin story, I was a intern at a company and I heard about RailsConf and I was in like the grind stage of my life. So I was like a senior in college, I think. And I had just within the past year been put on medication for ADHD and like my whole life was starting to turn around. So I had been consuming an abnormal amount of Ruby podcasts at that point. And so I had heard about RailsConf and it sounded cool. And I was like, but I'm literally broke and there's no way company wouldn't pay to send me or anything but i volunteered i signed up to volunteer and they accepted me as a volunteer so that means you get a free ticket and then my boss paid for my hotel and then i drove from north carolina to pittsburgh and it was an amazing experience and i started submitting talks my first year as like a developer i never got accepted But for the first two or three years, every single conference, I would submit a talk up until 2020. And then I've stopped. But since I've stopped submitting CFPs, I've now given two talks. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think Um, that's important to to talk about how, like I mentioned, it took me almost five years before I got a yes. Right. And that wasn't for lack of trying. I completely agree that some of the initial ones weren't great. But it also doesn't mean that they weren't good. It just means they didn't work at the time. There are a number of those talks that have gotten rejected over those five years that I've ended up giving because I continued to believe in it and iterated on it and fixed the proposal up to like meet where I am now or whatever. But it didn't mean it was a bad talk. It just didn't work for the conference right then. And there's certainly a number of talks that I'm just like, nope, I'm letting that one go. It's time. I, I don't have the energy and excitement for it now. But not being accepted doesn't mean... There's any, it could mean so many different things, right? Could mean there were seven talks that were all about the same thing that were presented and the committee had to pick between two of them and and all all sorts of stuff. Could you share a little bit about the process is like to submit a talk? You have a call for proposal window and maybe can kind of walk us through the steps of how that works. Yeah. So each conference does do it a little bit differently. So there is some squishiness there. But the the general overarching idea is, like you mentioned, these conferences will say, hey, we're having a conference. We would like people to talk at them because that's what conference is. And you can submit your suggestion, right? And a lot of that is building out a proposal that talks about in detail what exactly you're looking to talk about. And then what happens from there very much varies from conference to conference and also what information they ask for in the proposal varies from conference to conference, right? So some conferences do a blind review where they don't know the people that are submitting them in the initial phase and just looking at the the merits of the abstract or the details. Some of them do know the people right off the bat. And for some conferences, there can be some back and forth, right? Like they might send you a message that like asks you to clarify or change your proposal, which you can do. And sometimes you don't hear anything from them. 
And then at some point they send you some message that says yes or no. And you go from there. So it's kind of variable from conference to conference, but that's sort of like the general shape of what I've seen. I don't know, Andrew, when you were submitting, did you see anything different from that? I did want to highlight something that you said is that sometimes they will give you feedback if you ask for it. And I know RubyConf and RailsConf, some of the people who review them definitely do that. The only way to get feedback like that, though, is to submit your CFP early. So if you're wanting that type of feedback, you can imagine that the majority of CFPs get submitted on the final day. And there's a group of volunteers. So I guess the other side of what you're talking about, there's a group of volunteers and their job is to go through all of them. And they might have a double blind, like you were saying, or they might know, or this or that, or whatever. But because they are volunteers, they're doing this as a labor of love. So a lot of them will definitely help you, but you have to get it submitted early where they have time to actually look at it. So that was all I wanted to say, because I submit things on the last day every time. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, this doesn't help for the conference going on, but some people have had success reaching out to the program committee after the fact if they want to update it for future conferences. But that's even harder to get people's attention for just because they're then busy in preparing for the actual conference mode. Yeah, it definitely depends. Sometimes the people who review the CFPs are not necessarily always like sharing like the program for Rails and RubyConf. I think they normally do. But I also know there are some people like you read what they're talking about and either you can just recognize their writing or you just recognize the subject. So I know there's another process. If they recognize the person writing, they can pass it off to another reviewer. So they try to make that part fair. But it's I think it's the hardest part. I think it's Feels very hand wavy. I put a link in the show notes to my favorite post of all time by Sarah May on writing a CFP. We could do a whole series on writing a CFP. So once you do the CFP and let's say you get rejected, I don't think that has to be the end of it, right? I think you, we were talking a little bit earlier about just because you get rejected doesn't mean it's a bad talk. It doesn't mean that you only can give it at a conference. Hi there, Julie here. I would like to take a moment to thank GoRails for sponsoring this episode. When I was first starting out, I struggled with finding up-to-date content to help me level up. Then I learned about GoRails. Not only does GoRails provide new screencasts weekly, they also have two fantastic instructors that break down complex topics into digestible chunks. On top of that, I really appreciate when they explain the whys behind the subject. One of my favorite walkthroughs is creating your first Ruby gem from scratch. What a great way to learn by stripping down to just the basics. If you care about leveling up as a Ruby engineer, you can't go wrong with GoRails. Check it out at GoRails.com. Kevin, the way that I met you was through... It was Philly RB, right? Philly RB, thank you. You were giving a talk there, I believe. And did you also give that talk at a conference as well? Yep. So let's see. I think the first one that I was there for was BMBA talk. So what I did for that is I have found some meetups to practice the talk beforehand before giving it to the conference. So I had a talk that was for RubyConf 2020, which was at home for reasons. And because everyone was at home for reasons, people that were still trying to keep meetups going were trying to do virtual meetups. So I ended up taking that to six or eight different meetup groups just to meet new people. And I already had the presentation all canned, ready to go. And that was a great opportunity to 
talk to new people and meet them and also hopefully help some of those organizations with just, like, yeah, I'm willing to give a talk, but I would never otherwise be able to fly to Vancouver to give a local meetup talk. But the fact that you're doing things virtually, yeah, I can join and, and give your talk. Do you like giving them virtually or in person better? I guess they both have their pluses and minuses, right? So I like in person because it usually comes with there being some like additional incentive of like you get to go to someplace, right? Or, or do a thing like that. And at this point, also just like seeing Ruby friends that you don't see otherwise. The good thing about the virtual talks is you're very familiar and in control of the environment. Where you've been practicing the talk is exactly where you're going to deliver it. If you like your room to be a little hot or a little cold, guess what? You can control that. You're used to the equipment that's being used as opposed to at a a live talk. It's it's live. Anything can happen. And the mic might be set up in a way you're not familiar with, or there might be a giant chandelier in front of the projector that you weren't ready for, or your computer might not work. And so there's like more added stress there, but there's also a payoff to doing it in person and like being able to feed off of there being a crowd. Not that like, there's a lot of like audience reaction in my talks and like people cheering or anything, but like, you see people, you see Andrew in the front nodding along and you're like, yep, yeah, okay, cool. Someone's paying attention. That kind of brings us to being a good audience member, which what does that mean to you? I mean, and also from the perspective of what do you want the audience to do as a speaker or not do? Yeah. So one thing that maybe seems obvious, but it is show up. I'm not like anti-hallway track. And if people need to step away to take care of themselves and whatnot, that's super helpful too. But I'm not super into the mode of people being like, I'm going to go to a conference, but I'm not going to go to any of the talks. I'm just going to meet up with people and I'll just catch the talks online after. For the most part, I also understand that there are some people that like the assistive technology that works with the playback helps them out. But also those talks are better when there are actual people there. It's hard for a presenter to look out into a sea of empty chairs and go, here we go. This was all worth it. Right. So low bar, but step one, maybe go to some of them. It's also tough, too, because like you don't want to center yourself as the speaker of there's a world beyond just like what you're doing. But it's tough if people are like five minutes into the talk and be like, "Ah, I'm going to bounce out of this one and go to another session. This wasn't what I was looking for. And like to be fair, like the audience has paid their money as well and they want to get the most out of the experience. But it just it makes it more difficult when there's a door clanging in the back and someone shuffling through the middle of the aisle while you're trying to do your thing or whatever. So those may seem like pretty standard stuff. But in terms of other things that I really appreciate is take a picture of the person on stage. And if they've posted any place they are on social media, send it to them because they can't do that while they're on stage. And there might not be another record that they were up there. And they might want something to send to their mom and be like, I did it. Look at me. But they're also not going to watch your talk. At least my mom's not. <laughs> she's like, oh, that's great. I have no idea what you're talking about. But she'll understand a picture of me on stage. So that kind of like is a double-edged sort of like, so yeah, take the picture, but then maybe put your phone away. <laughs> Having that eye contact can be helpful. At some conferences, it's hard. You don't even see past the first like five rows because of the lighting or whatever, but assume that the speaker can see you. And the last thing I'll mention is coming up to them after and talking about it. So the talk is over, you are done, and then everyone moves on. And that's like a really weird place as a speaker because you just exerted so much energy and then you're just done and it's a weird transition and you might just be like standing there awkwardly or like maybe start packing your things up or like looking out for the next presenter or whatever but if someone just comes up to you and goes hey good job i really appreciated your talk that's super helpful someone that i think is really good at this is joel kenville 
who's Thoughtbotter and co-host of the Bike Shed podcast, I always see him going up to people after and like, not like in, I've got a question, I've got to ask you whatever, but just like in a really collaborative, like, that was so great. I really appreciated that. So I try to emulate that now after seeing that from him of coming up and even if I don't have a question, just, hey, I really liked how you did this particular thing. And now as a speaker, a lot of it is like that slide transition from this slide to that slide was so amazing or like some like weird nerdy speaker thing. But that feedback is just so helpful and informative that like someone got something out of it after the speaker spent all that time working on it. I wrote that down. I am, especially after the thing that shall not be named and that happened in 2020, I have found myself in the hallway a lot more but I will say the caveat to that is because I just can't be around groups of people anymore for long periods of time. It's just, I can't do it. But what I will do is there have been people who've come up to me and they're like, yeah, I'm worried that people aren't going to come to my talk. If someone says that to me and I'm not already pledged to go to a different talk or doing something, I'm going to be in the front row of your talk, smiling and nodding along. So it is upsetting to put all this time and effort and to feel like it was a waste would be kind of devastating, I feel like. So I really like what you said about just even just saying, hey, I loved it. Piecing out of the room. I feel like if as a speaker, I would love to hear that. That's a perfect interaction for me. I got some free attention. I get to go back to my antisocial ways. And then it was just a great interaction all around. I'm going to start doing that. So both of you also have experience speaking. How did both of you feel after your talks? Did you want that? Did you want people to just leave you alone? What were you hoping for and what happened? I, after my talk, someone came up to me and told me they had an idea for a podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. I like it. But I just need attention. I just want to bathe in it. But there's a point, right, where I'm like, if I find myself in an awkward conversation, if time slows down and I start being like tortured. So I do like to talk to people, but I have an eye of time where I'm like this point out and that's it. And so I just know that if I like, okay, this is it, I'm done. I'll just leave. But I love to talk to people after the talk. If not just to meet new people, to get feedback, like you said. What about you, Julie? I had a co-speaker. So for me, I felt like I had support already on the stage. I remember the first thing that I did when the talk was over was I just got down on my knees and I was like, oh my gosh, like it's over. And I didn't know what to do with myself. I kind of wanted to lay down on the stage, but I did appreciate the people coming up and giving support. The talk that I did was not recorded because we had sensitive information, but I did bring up that I had co-founded our neurodivergent ERG employee resource group at work. And I had a couple of people come up to me and ask me how I did it so that they can do that. And that felt really good. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime shouldn't be one. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute. A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy to use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. Best of all, Honey Badger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at honeybadger.io. That's www.honeybadger.io. As we're kind of getting towards the end here, I want to talk about 
we've kind of glossed over like here, how you can do it and like what the process kind of looks like and like some of the basics. But I want to talk about where people who are listening to this probably are, where they're like, okay, these three people have already given talks. This guy's been coding for over 10 years, at least we at minimum know that. And I want to know what advice you would share with people who are where you are five or 10 years ago. Well, I think in terms of speaking, like maybe obvious point, but also just want to put a very fine point about it is just nobody, not everyone has to, right? If you have no compelling reason to be like, nope, that's not me. Awesome. There are so many other ways you can be a part of the community and contribute and just be a good human being. It, it doesn't mean it's for everyone. That's totally fine. So I wouldn't feel any like compunction to be like, oh, this is just something I have to do. Right. Uh, it just kind of worked that way for me. Like it was something that I had a compelling interest in. So it worked out that way. But I guess like, starting with just like asking yourself legitimately, like, is this something that's worth it to me? That's worth the effort. I think also just like broadening your definition of speaking. Right. So being on stage at a conference is speaking, but it, there are plenty of other ways we can speak in our lives. Right. And, like we already talked about meetups and that's like, sort of like the next level, right? But there's also just like opportunities within your company likely where you can give presentations or maybe just even providing status updates or even just working with people one-on-one -on -one can be like your start of being more comfortable in front of other people <laughs> saying something in a declarative nature that puts you in some position where people think you have some sort of authority, whether it be true or not. <laughs> and then if you do want to build on that, then I think, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is it's a lot of like a lot of other things, right? Like I mentioned, it took me years before a proposal got accepted. And that was not a fun period of time in terms of, I mean, my life in general was fine. It didn't like, consume my well-being. But like it'd be, it would have been good to have a win in there. But also it's just like with anything else, like I needed those reps to understand better what it meant to put together a proposal, which is also hard because putting together a proposal and putting together a presentation are very different things a lot of the time. And it's really hard to evaluate one or the other. So there's some level of just like being comfortable with yourself and like taking some solace of just like, it's not a reflection of me as a person. It's just what worked well for the organization at the time. And if you're like still really excited and interested in it, there's going to be more opportunities that can keep coming. Make a YouTube video or live stream. It doesn't even have to be to anyone. I feel like if your goal is like, hey, I have this burning thing in my soul and I want to share it with people, don't stop yourself from sharing it with people by telling yourself, oh, this is so amazing that I have to do it on a stage, right? There's so many people who I'm sure would love to see it or at least the more content you create, the better you get at creating it, so... Julie, you have anything else? Yeah, I do. I wanted to share that my journey was made possible because I am part of WNB.RB. So if you identify as women or non-binary, the group is so supportive and was able to help me. I didn't even know that I wanted to speak, but Gemma had reached out to me and asked if I was interested in doing something like that. And somehow I signed up to do a small talk and it was actually very funny because when I did my talk at WNB.RB, the other speaker was Andrea Fomera, who is also my co-speaker at RubyConf Mini, but you get partnered with somebody who will help you develop your talk and kind of review your talk and you can do a dry run with them. And they helped me kind of get my start. And then once we were ready to submit a CFP, we have a group that will help review your CFP and provide feedback. Also, Kevin, you played a big role in reviewing our CFP for RubyConf Mini, and I'm so thankful for that. And I think 
there's help out there. If you were interested, there's ways you can go about getting that. And if your problem is public speaking, there are tons of organizations out there like Toastmasters that exist all over the country where you can get public speaking experience for free. So, I mean, if you do something like that, like either what Julie's talking about, where it's like a community that does it internally, or you go and actually seek out like, hey, I want to be better at public speaking. Let me go take a class. Let me go do Toastmasters, do whatever. That will all lead to a better experience at the end, regardless. Kevin, is there anything that you wanted to say or that we didn't ask you? No, I'm very excited that Ruby for All's back. So I guess I'll start by saying that. And thank you both for having me. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. And I mean, I'm about to go to a conference. So I stopped submitting CFPs after the pandemic just because I was like, I want to go hang out with my friends because I just felt like in between those years, I made so many friends online. It's like, I want to go hang out with my friends, but you kind of getting me the itch again. Kevin, I actually wanted to ask you one last thing before we go. Yeah. You had mentioned it was about five years or so before you did get a CFP accepted what is maybe one or two advice that you could share that helped you kind of get something accepted? So that's a bit of a black box, right? Because of course, like when something gets accepted, you're never like, give me feedback on why it got accepted, like proof. <laughs> <laughs> but I think some of the things that have made my proposals better are focusing on what the audience is going to take away from it, particularly at the top line, right? So again, each conference has different sections, but there may be some sections that are like, this is going to end up on the website. So everyone's going to see it. And then there's like other sections that are just like, you can tell us all the secret stuff now in here. So I think like tailoring those different sections to different audiences is very helpful, right? Of like a top line section should really be focused on someone's at the conference and they're reading the thing on their phone and they're going, which one of these doors am I going to go in? And if you give them a clear, oh, I'm going to get this out of this talk, it helps them. It also could help them if they're trying to put together something to give to their employer to go, see, I want to go to this conference because I'm going to learn this and this. And that can be helpful for justification for like them helping pay for some of it or giving you the time off or whatever it might be. But then using that details section, I think it's also important to target that towards the program committee or just whoever's organizing the conference. Of like, You might in the thing that you say to people not put like, oh, by the way, this is going to be a secret is it's a release of a new gem that solves this problem or whatever. You don't need to surprise the program committee. Like, tell them that's what the plan is. Because if you already know it, you don't need to hide it from them. And so giving them the full context. But like that mind shift of the different audiences to tailor those different pieces of content for was it's helpful for me for my framing. I will say, as a millennial, clickbait works. So... <laughs> The title of your talk is creative enough or funny enough. I'll be there. That's all it needs for me. Works, but it works for the audience, right? For the program committee, yes. that might be like terrifying, right? Because they don't know what yeah, they're yeah, going to yeah. get. So you need to tell them because they're putting together a conference and they don't want to look foolish with someone getting accepted right. to some talk that's not anything that they thought it was going to be. So you don't need to hide things from them. Yes. But yeah, so exactly. So if your talk is on introducing Turbo into your app, though, maybe how to add Turbo to your Rails app is good. But if you want to really draw people in, I like telling a narrative is always a good approach to it. Turn into a story, make people relate to it. <laughs> There's tons of ways to tell stories. There's patterns all over the internet. So yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Kevin. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me. Yes. And thank you on behalf of everyone who you reviewed CFPs for Rue Company. Thank you for giving your time up like that. That's fun for me to do. And this year, I also haven't been submitting my own talks, but like Ruby Central has been running like proposal workshops. And like that's been fun to help with. 
because it helps you like scratch the itch without having to actually do it. And also it's fun then to see, I saw that initial proposal and now that person's on stage. Hooray. It's not because of me, but it's fun to play a part in it. Well, tell people where they can keep up with you and all the cool stuff you're doing. I am subscribed to your blog post in my feed reader. I read it all the time. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so that's probably the best place, kevinjmurphy.com. I have a newsletter there you can sign up for. If you go to my about page, you can find wherever I am on the internet and relevant to this topic. I have a number of posts there on whether it's delivering proposals or talks or anything like that. And there's also a speaking page where you can see any and all of my talks. Nice. Cool. Well, maybe someone will hear this and they'll go check on some of your greatest hits. I'll also be at uh, RubyConf in San Diego. So if anyone's going to be there, come find me and say hi. What talk do you think was your best that you've given, whether recorded or not? It's probably my coverage talk. Ruby's got you covered. I think I've seen that. Yeah. I mean, that's gone through a lot of machinations, but I've given it a ton of different places. So like I've had the opportunity to reconfigure it and and put it together a couple of different times. So yeah, probably that enough coverage to beat the band. I've definitely read that. I think I have notes about that somewhere in the Cool. Well, I'm feeling better than when we started. I don't know about you. (laughs) Yeah, you both lifted me up a little. I guess for everyone listening, you won't know this because we are like five weeks ahead. But today is the day we started (laughs) publishing the podcast finally again. But we have a hefty backload. So we will catch you all. Yeah. Remember last week when I said, oh, we should tell everybody that we're going to be airing soon. And then I was like, oh, wait, they're already going to know by then. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But hello, us in the past or future, however it works. And we will catch you all back here next week. Peace out. Bye, everyone. <laughs>